Bokotov, good morning everyone. Welcome to our Aliyah day. Glad that you are here with us to study and to explore the Torah portion, Baruch Hashem. Hope you're having a beautiful uh, morning so far. Hopefully it's not too stressful, not too antagonistic uh, to each and every one of you, Baruch Hashem. I'm glad again, watching from all over the uh, fruited plain, as it were. Today is the fourth Aliyah, the fourth Aliyah, Baruch Hashem. If uh, you join us tonight, just a little public service announcement. Tonight we're going to have a teaching on how to lead a Seder, a Pesach Seder, a actual, uh, you know, real, live, legitimate, kosher Seder. So we invite you to join us for that at 7 o'clock tonight. It's going to preempt the normally scheduled program of the uh, conversion classes. And our idea is we want to make sure and get this information out because there might be things that you need to acquire and need to, and need to uh, purchase or whatever for your Pesach Seder. And it just so happens that we have a, <laughs> a Judaica store here from which you can purchase all those wonderful things. Isn't that amazing? So, Brugashim, just a little shameless plug for the fig tree. Hallelujah. So again, glad you're here with me this morning. We're going, as I said, this is the fourth uh, reading, the fourth Aliyah. But let's go ahead and read the third Aliyah again. We'll read the third Aliyah through the fourth Aliyah. It's not that long. It's chapter 10, verse 1, through, uh, looks like, uh, verse 15. That's the third and fourth Aliyah. So let's go ahead and reset the stage and continue uh, our discussion from what we began yesterday. So, chapter 10, Capiculo 10, for our Sephardic friends. <clears throat> the sons of Aaron, Nadav and Abihu, each took his fire pan. They put fire in them and placed incense upon it. And they brought before Adonai an alien fire that he not... Uh, that he had not commanded them. A fire came forth from before Adonai and consumed them, and they died before Adonai. And Moses said to Aaron, Of this did Adonai speak, saying, I will be sanctified through those who are nearest me. Thus I will be honored before the entire people. And Aaron was silent. Moses summoned Mishalel and Azaphan, sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, Approach, carry my brothers out to the sanctuary to the outside of the camp, they approached and carried them by their tunics to the outside of the camp, as Moses had spoken. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eliezer, Ithamar, Do not leave your heads unshorn, do not rend your garments, that you not die, and, and become wrathful with the entire assembly. And your brethren, the entire house of Israel, shall bewail the conflagration that Adonai ignited. Do not leave the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for Adonai's oil of anointment is upon you. And they carried out Moshe's bidding. Ch uh, verse 8. Adonai spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink intoxicating wine when you and your sons uh, with you, when you come to the tent of meeting, that you not die. This is an eternal decree for you and for the generations. In order to distinguish between the sacred and the profane, between the contaminated and the pure, and to teach the children of Israel all the decrees that Adonai had spoken to them through Moshe. It's become kind of a custom nowadays for Kohanim, to not consume wine in the sanctuary, in the actual sanctuary, as a remembrance of this prohibition. Verse 12. 
which is actually part, this is now beginning the uh, fourth Aliyah, for those of you who are keeping track. Moses spoke to Aaron and Eliezer and Ithamar and his son, saying, Take the meal offering that is left from the fire offering of Hashem and eat it with unleaven, uh, unleavening near the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place, for it is your portion and the portion of your sons and the fire offering of Adonai, for so have I commanded. And the breast of the wave and the thigh offering are raising up, you shall eat in a pure place, and you and your sons and your daughters with you. For they have been given as your portion and the portion of your sons from the feast offering, a peace offering of the children of Israel. They are to bring the thigh of the raising up of the breast of the wave offering, the fire offering, and the fats to wave as a wave service before Adonai. And it shall be for you and for your sons with you for an eternal decree as Adonai commanded. So, um, we have, as I said here, this discussion of the strange fire, the sons of Aaron, Nadav and Avihu, as we talked about yesterday, offering up unauthorized fire <coughs> from, or to rather, uh, God. And it this uh, whole idea flies in the face of uh, the theology we spoke about yesterday, the point of view that we can do pretty much whatever we want as long as God knows our heart. And we justify disobedience all the time because of those very things. Like we say, for instance, we say, um, you know, I had to go and get this unkosher or whatever because I was just so hungry. And a long time ago, I was having a conversation with a Orthodox colleague of mine, Orthodox rabbi. We were talking about this issue. And he said, you know, really, if you think about it, in our world, people justify, they say, I'm so hungry. Well, you can't, instead of going to the non-kosher restaurant, because it's the middle of the day, you need something to eat, you're hungry, how come you don't go to the grocery store? And get maybe a uh, a kosher jar of peanut butter and jelly, you know, a a, a kosher uh, box of uh, crackers and and a some some uh, kosher uh, you know hummus or something. You you see what I'm saying? Like it's really just an excuse for our disobedience. There's really no reason why we can't eat kosher. There really isn't. It may not be what we want to eat. We would rather have uh, a hamburger, you know, than maybe a tuna fish sandwich or a peanut butter sandwich. We'd rather have it, but we don't have it in for, before us, so we choose to eat something kosher. That's so important for us to do because that's making distinctions. If we make excuses, there's a, see, what God wants us to do is make distinctions. What, what the enemy wants us to do is make excuses because distinctions lead us to holiness. Excuses lead us to defilement. When we make excuses, then that opens the door for something else also forbidden that we can make an excuse for. But when we make distinctions, then we hold ourselves accountable to a rule of law. A rule of law. And I don't have to tell you, we live in a day and age where everybody wants the benefits without the consequences. This is why we have abortion. Everybody wants uh, to have intimacy with whomever they want without any consequences. That's what people want. That is making excuses. Everybody wants a guaranteed income without going to work. Everybody wants to uh, live in a big, beautiful house without doing anything to earn it. That's what people want. 
We, we, we want things that don't belong to us because we want them. And people <clears throat> like manner, they want all the benefits of the covenant of God. They want the eternal salvation. They want the God's presence. They want the blessed in the city, blessed in the field. They want um, to be chosen. They want everything related to the covenant without any of the responsibility. I want to be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, and uh, whether I am obedient or not, I want all the benefit with none of the responsibility. That's what we want. And that comes from the carnal nature. It comes from the Yetzir Hara. So anyway, going back to this issue, let's. I, we left off with uh, this story from 1 Chronicles 13 yesterday, using David as an example. So we have David, just a Again, who is David? David is God's anointed king. David is the man that, as we learned in the Drash on Shabbat, the, the man that everybody rejected. They said, no way in the world you're going to be king. You're not even a legitimate Jew, much less a king. And we actually sent you out to pastor because we we're hoping you would be killed by some animal. That would be the best thing that could happen to us. Turns out he's God's anointed. God even says, listen, David is a man after my own heart. David wrote most of the Psalms. David has killed Goliath. He's, he's the builder of Jerusalem. He's the one who gathered all the product to make the temple and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. David is this quintessential uh, guy. He's the guy that danced before the Holy Ark. And when his wife rebuked him, he said, listen, I'll become more indignified than this. When it comes to worshiping God, which, by the way, is one of my favorite quotes, I'll become more indignified as when it comes to serving God, you haven't seen anything yet. And so one would assume that David would be a guy that would get all kinds of passes if his heart was right. And if that were true, then that would make that lie true that says God knows my heart. But what we find is with David, his heart was right in this story, 100% right. His intention was 100% pure. His motive was 100% holy. His focus was 100% on God. And yet, because he was disobedient, he suffered a great price. My friends, that teaches us a valuable, valuable lesson. So let's look at the story again. Let's kind of go through it. 1 Corinthians 13. David consulted with the officers of thousands and hundreds with every leader. As I told you yesterday, that's his first mistake. His first mistake was going to find out what you guys think. Not you guys literally, but, you know, the people. Verse 2, David said to the entire congregation of Israel. Now he's talking to the congregation of Israel. Let's start with the leaders first. Then we're going to go ask the people. This is one of my pet peeves of leadership. This is one of my pet peeves of leadership right here. Friends, leaders lead. If a leader is going to people and asking them to vote on what they want, they're not a leader, they're a spokesperson. There's a difference between a spokesperson and a leader. A leader leads. And most people are not courageous enough to lead because when you lead, you find yourself out front leading and you run the risk of nobody following you. And that's, the, that's a, a risk that a leader takes. And so David here is now asking the congregation, what do you want to do? 
Now you're asking a bunch of people that have no perspective. This is the other thing about leadership. You know, when you have people, whether it's a company or, you know, you, when you go and ask people, they don't know what they, what do you want us to do, guys? They have no idea. They, they've never done this before. So anyway, that's his second mistake. He says, if it seems good to you and to Hashem. Now, again, the, 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 the order of the sentence structure here is important. If it seems good to you and to Hashem. How come we don't say if it seems good to God first? Isn't that most important? We should be pleasing God. But see, what we don't realize is David was the very first one to have a seeker-sensitive congregation. He was the very first one to have a seeker-sensitive congregation because he wanted to reach out to the people and make them feel good. He was the first guy to show up wearing blue jeans and an untucked shirt to give a sermon. I'm being facetious, but you know what I'm getting at. So he says... If it seems good to you and to Adonai, our God, let us... By the way, when you show up to your congregation, you're wearing blue jeans and an untucked shirt. You're showing up to please man. You have no focus on God. But I digress. I digress. <laughs> anyway. Uh, it seems, if it seems good to you and to Adonai, our God, let us send out far and wide to our remaining brethren... And all the lands of Israel, and with them to the Kohanim and the Levites in their cities, surrounded by open areas. That's his next mistake. He's gonna. He he talked to the leaders. He talked to the army officers. He talked to the people. Now he's inviting all the other people. Oh, and by the way, we should probably invite the Kohanim and the priests too. And think about it. We're talking about bringing up the Ark of God to Jerusalem, and the last people on the guest list, almost like an afterthought, are the priests and the Levites. It's almost as if David was like, you know, we, who else, who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting somebody we should invite to the party. Let's see, let's see, let's see. And, you know, somebody says, how about the priest? You know, good idea. They should come too. Now, one of the reasons this is all happening, as, and we're about to find out. Let me just continue reading. It says, and let us transfer the ark of God to us. Now, what does the ark contain and what is its significance? The Ark, of course, contains God's holy Torah. The reason the Ark is significant is precisely because of the Torah. And we're about to learn why this whole hot mess is happening. As he says, For we did not seek it out in the days of Saul. The reason that, that David and the people are confused is because there has been an absence of Torah learning since the days of Saul. And as a result, it's going to cost somebody their life. And it's going to cause God to rebuke the people. And the king, specifically, who was their representative. So it says the entire congregation said to, uh, said to do so. That's another problem. All the people said, let's do that. Now, again, we're listening to the people. The patient is telling the doctor how to treat them. This is why sometimes... It doesn't happen. In fact, well, it doesn't matter. It has happened. That's important. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen. Where people will come to me and say, Rabbi, you should teach this, or you should teach that. And sometimes it's just, hey, I want to learn about something, so I'd like for you to talk about it. That's perfectly fine. I understand those kinds of suggestions. But there's sometimes when that's not the intent. Sometimes the intent is, 
people want to tell their rabbi, not just me, it happens to other people as well, what they want to hear and how they should hear it. And my reply to those people is, is that uh, um, patients don't tell the doctor what mes- medication to prescribe. Um, that's not your job. I mean, I'm sorry. It's just not. Um, so anyway, since the entire congregation said to do so for the matter met with the approval of the entire people again, now we're approving, we're improving, we're getting approval from, from man again, first time ever seeker sensitive. There's nothing new under the sun, by the way. So verse 5, David gathered all of Israel from the approach of Hamath to the Shehor River of Egypt to bring the Ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. And David and all the Israelites went up to Baalal to Kiriath-Jerim of Judah to bring up the there the Ark of God, Adonai, who is enthroned upon the Cherubim, which is called by his name. Now listen, verse 7 is significant because remember, let's not lose sight of, of where this is, what we're connecting this to. We're connecting this to um, the concept of strange fire, bringing something before God that he did not command, a form of worship specifically. Now it says in verse 7, they placed the ark of God upon a new wagon from the house of Abinadab. Now, why is that significant? It's very important. Think think about this. Um, And it says, by the way, I should finish the verse. Uzzah and Ayo guided the wagon. Now, you ever stop to think, what made King David put the ark on a new wagon? Why, why a wagon? Why not something else? Why didn't he have the Levites carry it? Why, 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 why a wagon? Where, from where did that come? And here's the answer. We have to go back to the story where the Philistines captured the ark in battle, and while they had the ark in their possession, it wreaked havoc on their people, caused a plague to break out, the false god that they put it in the temple with, it basically destroyed that idol, and so they realized the problem we're having is that we have the ark uh, in our midst, and we need to send it back to Israel. So how did the Philistines send the ark back to Israel? They put it on a new wagon with new oxen that had never pulled anything before, never been under a yoke, and they sent it back to Israel. On the way, the oxen supernaturally were singing songs to God. And so naturally, when Israelites, to include David, saw or heard about this, they said, wow, they put the ark on a brand new cart with brand new oxen, and it was so amazing. There was a fog machine and laser lights, and they sang these rock and roll songs with new lyrics. And it was so, and he, and they, and they had, and the guys had blue jeans on and untucked shirts and a tattoo showing, so I could see that they had a pass. It was amazing. And look, it was so anointed that even the oxen sang. So. The reason they put the ark on a cart is because they looked to see how the pagans did it and they decided to follow their lead. The problem is God showed some grace to the pagans because they're pagans, because they don't know what they don't know, because they don't have anything and he 
anointed, so to speak, their effort because it is what it is. But just because something works for people that don't know what they don't know doesn't mean it's going to work for the people who should know. The whole point is, in this case, we see David following the lead of the Philistines versus the Torah. And that's the point of the story. Now, the next verse says that David and all of Israel were rejoicing before God with all of their might. I am a friend of God. He was singing that song. He was singing the song, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. The Levites were playing Days of Elijah. I mean, it was, it, was, it was utter madness of joy. They had, it says here, they had songs, they had harps, they had lyres, they had drums, they had cymbals, they had electric guitars and bass guitars, they had shofarot, the whole thing. And so, it's all God-focused, it's all worship. We got a brand new cart made by Cadillac, we got brand new oxen. Everything's great. Everything's great. Just holy, holy. I mean, we're just, we're just all rejoicing. You would think that nothing could go bad in this situation. Why? Because everybody's heart is right. Just like Nadav and Avihu. Everybody's heart is right. Everybody. They just love God with their whole heart. What's going on here? And so what happens? They came to the threshing floor of Hidon. And Uzzah sent out his hand to grasp the ark, for the oxen had dislodged it. And Adonai became angry at Uzzah, and he struck him for sending out his hand against the ark. So we see <clears throat> that um, we see that uh, it caused a tragedy. And David got mad, he got scared, he, needed, he decided some things he's got to go back and figure out uh, what's going on. So um, we learn in, verse, in, in chapter 15, okay, I'm trying to find the exact place where David uh, states this. Um, in chapter 15, we go to 1 Chronicles uh, 15. It says uh, that he built houses for himself in the city of David, and he also placed, prepared a place for the ark of God, pitching a tent for it there, talking about um, uh, bringing the ark into uh, Jerusalem properly. I'm looking for a statement because David said here, um, he actually makes it come up. I'm, sorry, I'm so sorry I can't find this at the moment. For some reason I can't find what I what I've been re reading for years, that David actually makes the statement that the reason that uh, this did not go well is because we did not bring it up properly. So what we see here is in chapter uh, fifteen, it says at that in verse two at that time David gave the command that no one but the Levites was to carry the ark of God. For it was them who Adonai had chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. David assembled all of Israel to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of God to its place that he had prepared for it. And David gathered together the sons of Aaron and Levites. So we see in chapter 15, God, David figures it out. 
you know, our heart was right back in the beginning and we had all the musicians, we had the song list, everything was fantastic. The problem was we didn't consult the Torah, we consulted the people. And the reason that the, the problem occurred is because we were not bringing the ark to Jerusalem in the proper way according to Torah law. <clears throat> See, the heart only matters if it's accompanied by obedience. And obedience only matters if it's accompanied by the heart. But the two separated from each other are worthless. Obedience without intention is worthless, and a heart without obedience is worthless. So it goes on to say how he gathered everybody together. Um, oh, here it is right here. Verse, verse uh, 11. David called for Zadok and Abithar and Kohanim and the Levites, Uriel, Asai, Yoel, Shammai, Eliel, and Abidab. And he said to them, You, the family heads of the Levites, you and your kinsmen, sanctify yourselves and bring up the ark of Adonai, God of Israel, to the place that I prepared for it. In verse 13, For the first time it was not you, Adonai our God, dealt harshly with, for we did not seek him out as was proper. Okay, so he makes a statement. This is the problem. So it goes on to say in verse 16, David instructed the officers and Levites to set up the kinsmen who had made music and musical instruments, the lyre, the heart, the cymbals. Now it's the Levites, specifically the Levites, who are playing the music. And there was joy, and he danced. And, and so it says that uh, David danced, and they every time he went so many paces, he made a sacrifice. Same thing as before. Same song, same playlist. Everything was going great. What was the difference? Why is it that the ark of God came to Jerusalem without incident and with great joy? What was the deciding factor? Because before there was great joy, before that, uh, man, they had everything going. It was perfect. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. Why did God not accept it the first time? Why did he accept it the second time? The answer is because the second time we weren't following the Philistines. We were following God. We weren't following uh, pagan ideas about what it means, you know, to have a worship service. We were following Torah law. That's the difference. And so my friends, yes, does God see the heart? He all, he absolutely does. And a heart that says, I love you, therefore I disobey you, is a heart of, of foolishness. And remember, it's, it was Samuel who said that rebellion is witchcraft. Rebellion is witchcraft. It was Samuel who's, who made that connection because King Saul was the first one who said my heart was right. Saul was the first one that says, well, the reason I did it was because of X, Y, Z. My heart was towards God because of this, that, or the other. And uh, King Saul wasn't buying it. I'm not King Saul, excuse me. Uh, Samuel wasn't buying it. He said, listen, uh, no. You have a heart of rebellion, of disobedience. And therefore, it is actually witchcraft. So God would rather you be obedient than to make your sacrifices. God would rather you be obedient than wear your blue jeans and untucked shirt. God would rather you be obedient than just have a magical worship service. God would rather, ha he'd rather have obedience. You realize that? Let's think about that for a second. <clears throat> God would rather have us be Torah observant than to 
have some big congregation with all the Six Flags over, over JC um, stuff going on. He'd rather have he'd rather have people that were keeping kosher and living kosher than he would to have all of that theatrics. That's the reality. God wants obedience rather than sacrifice. That's the whole point. I want to bring up something in the few minutes we have remaining here. And there's so much more to share. By the way, um, there's lots of comments here, both in Rabbi Monk's commentary and also in the K. Holt Tumash, that the death of... Uh, the two sons actually were, were was the was a result of their poor judgment yes but ultimately they were considered righteous and their death the sages came to understand actually completed the ceremonial rites of the tabernacle and actually brought sanctification to the tabernacle so it says Moses consoled Aaron, for instance, by telling him how sure he was that the sanctuary would be sanctified by those who God loved. So there was a premonition that this was going to happen. There's another section here that talks about the death of the righteous and how the death of the righteous actually brings atonement. The point I'm trying to make with that statement is that uh, Nadav and Avihu, their death, according to the Jewish point of view, actually brought sanctification, ultimately, ultimate sanctification, to the tabernacle itself. It was almost as if you could say it was the final offering of the tabernacle, which means you have two Kohens, like the two Messiahs, as the final offering. So when we talk about the two Mashiachs bringing ultimate sanctification, the final offering that brings ultimate sanctification, we have a, a sowed level pre, uh, pre uh, I, I'm sorry, um, example of that here with this story. So one final thing, just to bring in a Kabbalistic view. There's a Kabbalistic view that Nadav and Avihu were guilty of heresy for having brought the offering of incense not in tribute to Adonai, but as a means of placating harsh and unsympathetic supernatural forces. The basis for the accusation is that the Torah says <clears throat> they place the incense on them, that is the fire pans, and would be consistent with the wording in number 16.7. Instead, the wording here is, and placed incense on it. The allusion is to the Midat Chadin, the rule of stern justice. The sons of Aaron offer the incense in order to mitigate and appease the vindictive forces in creation. In other words, it was spiritual warfare. So the concept borders on idolatry for it ultimately leads to a doctrine of independent di divinities, one mercilessly wrecking vengeance and the other lavishing love on the world. So I just wanted to share that because there are people who get in. I'm, I'm, we understand there's, there's spiritual warfare to be had, certainly. We, we go through that on a regular basis. I'm talking more about the obsession that occurs sometimes in certain cults of rebuking the devil, casting out demons, you know, this, 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 that level of spiritual warfare. And that becomes idolatry. How? Because it de can develop the idea that you have a Satan, and of course the Satan, curse be he does exist, has the power to overrule outwit and undo what God wants to do. That gives two separate deities that ostensibly have Hasve Shalom 
equal power, and you've got to be careful about that. End of our Aliyah today. I bless you. I hope you have an amazing, wonderful, and exciting rest of your day. Look forward to seeing everybody tomorrow for our fifth Aliyah. Until then, may you have shalom, health, wealth, joy, and prosperity in the merit of the Messiah Yeshua. Shalom, shalom. See you tonight, by the way, for our teaching on the uh, Pesach Seder.